0: But for the sake of our witness, I want to add strength to this resolution, make it clearer and more explicitly theological by offering what I hope will be taken as a friendly amendment. So after the first whereas, I would like to offer whereas critical race theory and intersectionality are godless Mm. ideologies that are indebted to radical feminism and postmodernism and neo-Marxism and then add two resolves after the first resolved. Resolved that we remind Southern Baptists that critical race theory and intersectionality emerged from a secular worldview and are rooted in ideologies that are incompatible with Christianity. And be it further resolved that We repudiate all forms of identity politics and any ideology that establishes human identity in anything other than the divine creation in the image of God and for all redeemed humanity, our common identity, together, eternally, united to Christ. Oh,
1: Yes, yes, yes. My, my, my. We have a lot to talk about. That was Pastor Tom Askell speaking at the Southern Baptist Convention a few weeks ago in Birmingham, Alabama, 2019, June. He's putting forth an amendment to Resolution 9, a a resolution on critical race theory and intersectionality. The SBC went ahead and adopted that resolution, rejecting proposed amendment against the warnings of Tom Askell and Al Mohler. Whoa. Whoa. This is Justice to the Nations. I'm Rob Huddleston, your host. We're talking about this and how it relates to Jonathan Haidt and some other stuff in today's university setting. Thank you for joining Yes, the SBC is having a bit of a controversy right now. And that's a really good thing. First Corinthians 11.19 says, For there must also be factions among you in order that those who are approved may have become evident among you. That's why it's a good thing. Right now there needs to be some approving. Personally, I love the SBC. My roots are in Southern Baptist life. I graduated from Southeastern Seminary in 97, a time when Dr. Paige Patterson was president of the seminary. And for those of you who are not familiar with the Southern Baptist Convention, the SBC is the largest Protestant denomination in the nation. During that time, it was, well, just in the years prior, it was very liberal at the seminary. And Dr. Patterson and Judge Pressler were used by the Lord to bring that huge denomination back towards the inerrancy of Scripture. So, for me, showing up at the seminary about six months after Dr. Patterson had gotten there, that place was on fire. I loved it. The battle was over the Bible and the inerrancy of Scripture. And it was outstanding. I would go on to be a youth minister for ten years in a couple different Southern Baptist churches, and it was a wonderful experience and also an eye-opening experience. Well, they do very well in evangelism. The people in the pews are, or at least they were then, in so many ways. And I, I loved them. It was it was great. But in so many ways, they were biblically illiterate. Every Sunday seemed to be another gospel message with an altar call, but it didn't really get down into changing a person's worldview. I had pastors that I wondered were even, are they even saved? Quite honestly, the bi- biblical literacy and non-application was normative. Now there were good pastors. I had some good pastors. I knew of good really good pastors that that really got into the word, stuck to the word. But there were many. And definitely the people in the pews, there were many who were absolutely unprepared for doing battle with their Bible or or just did not question what they did according to biblical standards. I mean, we had specific sin issues that didn't get dealt with biblically. So, And and these aren't gray areas. They weren't gray areas. So, all that to say that tradition was, in many respects, supreme, not Scripture. They always were concerned with church growth. And this is... It's good in that they emphasized evangelism, but it is horrible in that they they were willing to adopt pragmatic philosophies to do it. Again, this is not everyone, but this was many churches. The need for numbers created an Achilles heel that was very susceptible to pragmatic inventions. Hence, The era of the CEO-pastor who was to be more of a charismatic leading influence than a faithful shepherd of God's Word. This left, in my estimation, a flock who knew little of the Bible beyond the salvation message and a few traditional renderings of pet passages. The really committed would faithfully attend discipleship classes, and if you were diehard You might even attend an inductive Bible study class. But this would not touch the orthopraxy, the practice of the flock or the pastor, typically, normally. And that's not to say that they were bad folks. They were great, loved them, clean, pure, but did not question things like well things things that pertain to their to our world view, and I'll give an example one example because this this pertains during this time, and this is uh fifteen years ago sometime around there during this time, the convention was debating resolutions, and I don't know if they i don't remember if they put forth any I just remember. I was all for it. These resolutions, which um, they were resolutions concerning pulling your children out of public schools. Now, as a youth minister, I was in the schools all the time. I saw Christian parents sending their Christian kids to schools committed to anti-Christian teaching. It didn't make sense to me. I encouraged parents to consider homeschooling because but the usual response was if we pull our kids out of the schools who's going to be there to witness to the unsaved to which i wanted to say or maybe even did say they aren't witnessing now your kids act just like them again that's not all of the kids but it was a majority even today you looked on their facebook wall you couldn't see any difference between them and the secular kids that never received christ oftentimes the even bigger point is that the marxist education that so many southern baptist youth received at public schools is now grown up they're now pastors and parishioners who are primed and ready to embrace critical race theory and intersectionality without the needed discernment to distinguish what is meat and what is rat poison. I recently read a blog post by a leader in the convention, Wade Burleson, and I don't know him, but his blog has garnered over 5 million hits, almost, uh, I think it was 5,777,000-something. So I consider him to be a leader. Again, I don't know him. But I can say his worldview is evident. He wrote a post entitled An Open Letter to My Calvinistic Friends in the SBC doctor Moeller, Dr. Askell, Dr. Stracken et al. or Straken. I'm not familiar with him either. In it he accuses these men, and, and these are respected leaders in the convention with a record of good service. He accuses them of, quote, bullying. He writes, quote, What in the name of John Calvin are you doing when it comes to the social media bullying of Beth Moore and her biblical position on women in SBC leadership? End quote. Now, it's important, especially if you're not a Southern Baptist. If if you're in the Southern... Baptist system at least for me I was in the Southern Baptist community in the system working it loving it and there's a tendency to to think that uh, isn't everybody a Southern Baptist you almost think that there are isn't any any other Christians out there and uh, that that obviously is my shortcoming but I think there's something to be said there anyway the backdrop of this if you're not a Southern Baptist is that Beth Moore is a powerful preacher and I remember her coming onto the scene and her discipleship material just was becoming very popular very quick so she'd been preaching speaking for a long time and we even had the question back then we wrestled with the question well what is the lady's role in the church should they be speaking and teaching men these these questions that are needful questions to ask what does the Bible have to say and that's really the point is if we're gonna be biblical what does the Bible say about it but let's be honest she's a powerful speaker a better speaker than many pastors and they want her to be able to, or some want her to be able to speak on Sundays. And, and she, I would assume, is included in that. Wants to be able to speak on Sundays. Conservatives say no, the office of the elder is male only. And Sunday mornings are for the pastor who should be a male. Liberals don't really care and I remember going through that battle way back then. Of course, if you don't believe the Bible is the inerrant word, what does it matter? And I hope that's not considered an unfair statement. I just think that's the logical outplay of it. They would be the first ones to ordain women, and why would it... would? Usually the interpretation of those passages would come off as that was the culture back then. We've evolved now and no longer are those distinctions required for our male-female roles. And obviously that created a problem. Books were written. Anyway, back to the current day. So there's been some back and forth on social media concerning this issue. And Beth Moore has been involved in some of these tweets, and specifically, I want to talk about the, Mr. Burleson's blog post, which got so, which garnered so much attention. He has, he is the one that said that these brothers, these SBC leaders, were quote bullying, and he has on there. These three different men and their tweets. The first one, Owen Strachan, says he tweeted out, Complementarians disagree cheerfully about much. One thing we have massive agreement on women do not preach on Sunday to the church. Doing so is functional egalitarianism. We will not capitulate here. And then he gives his resource. I'm assuming it's to another blog article. Then he's got. A tweet from Albert Muller says we have reached a critical moment in the Southern Baptist Convention when there are when there are now open calls to retreat from our biblical convictions on complementarianism and embrace the very error that the SBC repudiated over 30 years ago. It see he's even talking about it. I remember going through that. Honestly, I never thought I would see this day. Then Mr. Burleson has also Tom Askell's tweet. And Tom Askell's tweet is in response to Beth Moore. He says, I'm glad Beth Moore deleted this tweet. And I'll read you this tweet right now. Beth Moore says on her tweet, If you haven't read this, do. The claim of some that Southern Baptists have always defined complementarianism this rigidly. And that it's we who've changed not the denomination, isn't true. I've attended eight SBC churches in 62 years, all with a generous orthodoxy. And to that tweet, Tom Askell says, I'm glad Beth Moore deleted this tweet, but my concerns stands. Why was she so excited about promoting Honeycutt on women in ministry? This is a serious concern about where the SBC is headed. Okay. So my point here is to show how critical race theory and intersectionality and Marxism has already taken place in Wade's thinking. This is why what Tom Askell and Al Moeller were trying to point out at the convention this past couple couple weeks ago, it's so important. Wade Burleson seems to have already bought into the cultural Marxist paradigm. If those tweets constitute bullying, why do they constitute bullying? You have a disagreement on whether or not women should be preaching on Sunday morning. And I see nothing in these tweets that's, that threatens or anything like, remotely like it. You have men tweeting out how they disagree about this issue. That's not bull- is that bullying? No, the reason Wade Burleson would call it bullying is because he thinks in terms of oppressor and oppressed. That is cultural Marxism. And this is why. What Dr. Moeller and Dr. Askell were talking about is so important. If those tweets are bullying, how could they have said it in a way that they could show their disagreement and not be bullying? Or, as I suspect, is it, is it merely bullying because they don't agree with him and Beth Moore on the role of women? Well, this argument was going on 30 years ago. It's nothing new. What is new is that it is now termed bullying. What what makes this even more interesting is listening to the pagan intellectuals wrestle with the same exact issues. These are issues that are plaguing the universities. In 2016, Jonathan Haidt gave a talk to Duke University students entitled, Two Incompatible Values at American Universities, in which he outlines the difference between Karl Marx's philosophy of education for social change as compared to John Stuart Mill's philosophy of searching for truth. There was a day when the university was a place to go to search for truth, and now it is a place to go to prepare to change the world according to the cultural Marxist social justice paradigm. And I would add, by de deconstructing Christian Western civilization. Jonathan Haidt merely makes the point that a schism needs to take place and universities that want to promote social justice should distinguish themselves from universities that want to search for truth. And we could say the same thing for the SBC. SBC, by the way, is the Southern Baptist Convention, in case I forgot to say. As Jonathan Haidt describes it, social justice concerns itself with race, gender, LGBT, equality. Now remember, Jonathan Haidt is not claiming to be a Christian. I don't, I don't know his perspective, and as far as I can tell, he's, he's a humanist. He's for gay rights, as a matter of fact. He says uh, point blank. But, as Jonathan Haidt describes it, social justice concerns itself with race, gender, LGBT, equality. And this is different than searching for truth. He analyzes that in his talk. That's the point he's trying to make. Social justice is not open to debate. And him and Ben Shapiro and others, that's been their big emphasis is you're you're shutting down free speech at the universities and of course they are they're censoring and just like youtube and elsewhere censoring and shutting down their their talks that they were going to the university to have ben shapiro i know of specifically anyway they shut down debate the search for truth requires he goes on to explain the search of truth Search for truth requires debate. Where the universities used to have a diversity of opinions, they now are so stacked with liberal professors, they lack what Haidt termed, quote, disconfirmation. Disconfirmation. Something that is essential to expose bad logic, faulty thinking, and weak propositions. Disconfirmation is what he called it. Instead of logical thinking that is refined by criticism and analysis, Haidt points out that motivated reasoning and vested interests shut down healthy and needful debate. With the Humanities Department in some places having upwards of 70 liberals to one conservative professor, any speech that questions the narrative of social justice is considered hate speech, dangerous speech, hurtful speech, and must be shut down. And professors are losing their jobs over this, which is somewhat funny to me since the students are merely playing out what they have in many ways been taught by these same professors. While the church should be equipped and able to take these thoughts captive, instead Having been indoctrinated for years now by secular schools and universities, the church is struggling just like the world. And you have some secularists searching for truth, something which is only found in Christ, who is the truth, while these Southern Baptists are adopting ways that are specifically designed to create change at the expense of truth. And, not even, and no way to change the heart, which requires the truth of the gospel. The truth of John 14, 6. The truth of Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Here, then, the convention resembles the secular universities. And that's about as bad as it gets. Will we be set, setting up safe spaces outside the sanctuary next? There's absolutely nothing in the responses that I just read that deserves the word bullying, except and unless we are parroting the Marxist paradigm. If anyone was caustic, caustic in his ethos, it was Mr. Burleson. I wonder, when the church sets up trigger warning signs outside the sanctuary, warning people that they're going to be speaking of sin. And that's at a good church. Will they have organizations standing by to offer biblical counseling or secular counseling? So SJ, social justice universities, and that's a division that Jonathan Haidt gave gave them. You could either be a social justice university or a truth university. SJ Social Justice University shut down free speech, opposing views, and demand everyone walk in outward agreement. Not to be facetious, but it reminds me of Rome when they demanded you could have your own church as long as you gave a pinch of incense on the altar and said, "Caesar is curios, curios, Lord." Now they demand a pinch of incense, a nod toward Kaiser Caesar, and a self-righteous virtue signal saying Karl Marx is curious. Students having been indoctrinated by public schools, helicopter parenting, and participation awards demand protection from hurtful ideas. Words are now equated with violent attacks upon someone's personhood. It's no longer. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me. Words nowadays to the snowflakes. Crush them. So to lighten the mood. And to make a point, I have composed a simple jingle. This is me asking a transgender man, who is calling himself a woman, Is it really worth living in a fantasy? Now follow with me. I'm not switching to the transgender issue, but it is inextricably intertwined, and hopefully I'll be able to bring it back around. Okay, so here we go. What would you give for that sundress? Would you trade it in? For reality, yeah. A welder wears gloves, so he won't burn his flesh. And seeking the truth means you gotta have tough skin. Destined to be... The next top 40 hit, I'm sure. Wow. Inspired. Okay. I'm kidding. The point is, as the song says, what would you give for that sundress? Are you willing to give your soul to keep your autonomy? That's what it's really about. Autonomy. I get to decide who I am, not God. Is wearing women's clothes... So important to you that you'd be willing to give your soul to do it. The sundress represents, to the LGBT person, it represents freedom. The liberty to maintain is autonomy. It is also metaphorical for thin skin. The thin skin that cannot receive a critical review. The kind of... Thin skin that gets crushed when someone says his decision is a perversion and demands unprotecting university presidents be fired if they will not do something to stop the oppression. It's easy to see how this calls for bigger and bigger government. The next line in the song says, Would you trade it in for reality? This means the transgender, the transgender community having literally put on sundresses and claiming that they're now a she. The he is a she. That person is living in a fantasy, an illogical dilemma, irrationality, and they remain unwilling to embrace truth. They have, as Jonathan Haidt calls it, they have motivated reasoning. They have vested interest. The Christian knows about motivated reasoning even better than the unbeliever. We should know. Ephesians 4 tells us about the lusts of de- deceit. Jeremiah 17:9, The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We recognize full well the propensity of man's sinful heart to want to justify our immorality and perversion. Now, back to the song. The welder wears gloves. That is thick material so as to not get burnt. The equivalent would be the welder who says, the fire is not hot. I do not need thick gloves. I'll just wear my sundress, and I won't get burnt. Fire does not care about your feelings, your perversions, your rebellion, or your intersectional Intersectional ranking, it just burns. It is like life and gravity. It just happens. You can give your child a participation award and try to make him feel good about being a horrible baseball player. But one day, real life, a real job will tell him, you just aren't cutting it. Anyway, pressing on, the postmodern, although he says there is no absolute truth, he doesn't live like that. That is called hypocrisy. He can say that he doesn't believe in hot metal, but he wears welder's gloves. The last line, pursuing truth means, quote, you got to have thick skin. These university students demand safe spaces, not truth. They must be rescued and can only see from a role of oppressors versus oppressed and victimhood. Just like Wade Burleson's demand that the bullies pick on someone of their own size, both are missing the point. And what I'm talking about is how you just can't go soak in the soup without it seeping in. And for years folks have been sending their children to Marxist schools where it has seeped in and they think this way. And and no one's immune to it. The point is you have to be deliberately fighting against it. Fighting to have a biblical worldview, not a Marxist worldview. Another brother another brother at the convention during a panel discussion, said this.
0: I think Jesus used his privilege for the purpose of bringing people who had no ability to have to relate to God to bring them up so that they we can have relationship. And I think this is what James is saying. He says, to those who are privileged, you, think that you need to think more lowly of yourself. To those who are disenfranchised and marginalized, you need to think more highly because at the foot of the cross, we are all peers.
1: Now, I think I know... I'm not sure, but I think I know who this uh, brother was that was speaking, and I have absolutely nothing bad about him to say. I don't know him personally. I think I've seen him on some discipleship material where he had excellent things to say. However, this is not an excellent thing to say, or at least not a an appropriate way to put it. I totally agree with him that the foot of the cross at the foot of the cross, the ground is level. That would be the gospel point. That is not intersectionality's point. That is not Marxism's point. It's the exact opposite. So there, again, is truth mixed with error, and it starts with the worldview behind it. And that's really my point. Unless you're fighting against it, you begin speaking in terms which are compatible with promoting a wicked, humanistic paradigm. What do you mean Jesus used his privilege? What privilege? He left his glory behind in heaven, Philippians 2. He had no home to lay his head, Matthew 8, 19 and 20. He was a Middle Eastern brown-skinned man who was in an the unprivileged position, of being under Rome's oppressive thumb, bullying Jews. I just think it is very misguided to use the language of cultural Marxism, which is so replete in the system, to even speak of the Christology of Jesus. His brother may be absolutely... Absolutely solid, but his language built upon the humanistic doctrines that, it, that, they, that language is in, unquestionably built upon. It's a train wreck coming. Instead of choosing that direction, we ought to be taking our cues from Scripture. Scripture says conflict can be good. 1 Corinthians eleven nineteen. 19. Well, for the postmodern, conflicts must be Squashed. For one reason, they can't go back to truth. They say there is no absolute truth. Number two, Proverbs 19.11. A man's discretion makes him slow to angry, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. In other words, you must have thick skin. That's what humility is all about. I listen to my critics. They may have a point. Even if they say it with bad ethos, and maybe 90% of what they say is wrong... There's still that 10% that I need to consider and take to my prayer closet and ask the Lord, do they have a point? Number three, Ephesians 4.25, you must speak the truth in love. God calls us to that. This requires humility. As Ephesians 4 starts off with, walk together in humility. Humility invites criticism. Pride asserts his rights. Number four, Matthew 5, 23, and I believe Luke seventeen three. Either way, you slice it. If you know someone has an offense against you, you must take care of it before you even worship. That's Matthew 5, 23. Deal with the conflict. But deal with it in the right way. As Christians, we should be able to do that without getting all crushed. That's the way the Lord has set it up. We go from Scripture, put the Scripture on the table, and say, you know what? I think this Scripture applies to women speaking on Sunday mornings. And if you think that it means they shouldn't preach on Sunday mornings, then praise God. That's what you think. I think you're wrong. Are are you okay with that? We just disagree. That's a good argument. We came to the point where we recognize, hey, you're going to stand before Jesus for what you believe the Scripture says, and I'm going to stand for what I believe that the Scriptures say. We're both accountable to Jesus. I can live with that. But if we don't even agree on the standard of the Bible if you're coming from Karl Marx's Communist Manifesto, then I'm calling you out. What is your source of authority? Humanism or Scripture? CRT, that would be the uh, abbreviation for Critical Race Theory is interested in establishing equal outcomes. According to the UCLA School of Public Affairs, CRT recognizes that racism is ingrained in the fabric and system of the American society. The individual racist need not exist. To note that institutional racism is pervasive in the dominant culture. This is the, and I would emphasize this, this is the Analytical lens that CRT, critical race theory, uses in examining existing power structures. And that's the point. They see everything as oppressor versus the oppressed. They see it through an analytical lens which looks at the group and not the person or the specific individual account. They lump it all together. They reject biblical... Orthodoxy about sin CRT identifies that these power structures are based on white privilege and white, suprem- white supremacy, which perpetuates the marginalization of people of color. Now, this works well in cultural Marxism, where everything is seen as oppressor or oppre- and oppressor versus oppressed, privilege versus victim. This absolutely undermines the gospel. This, de- this deconstructs the Christian West in ways that classical Marxism couldn't. This undermines God's sovereignty. The gospel says that all men have sinned, not just white men. Whiteness is not the original sin. It creates a culture of victimhood, which actually inoculates people from the gospel by telling them it is someone else's fault. This undermines God's sovereignty. The God who makes men rich or poor, 1 Samuel 2. It conditions men to blame shift. That's Genesis 3. Adam blamed Eve. Eve blames the serpent. And it sets him up for being proud, selfish, and discontent, and covetous. All the things that the gospel is meant to cure. But Isaiah 42.1 reminds us that Jesus is bringing real justice to the world, not a pharisaical, shallow, plastic social justice which can never change the heart of man. Karl Marx And social justice seek to change society. Jesus and the gospel seek to change the heart. With critical race theory, racism and injustice will increase. And with the SBC, right now it looks much the same. This is Rob Huddleston, Grace Mercy Truth Network. For Justice to the Nations podcast. Thank you for being with me, joining me. Stay in the fight. Until then, remember Jesus is King, and justice is coming.